0: With the growth of the Internet as an educational tool, the question of how to control what information students have access to, well, it's become a rather controversial issue. And there have been several stories in the news recently about students gaining access to pornography, bomb-making instructions, and other questionable materials. The reaction from educators has ranged from the introduction of electronic monitoring to the insistence that students and their parents sign waivers before students are let loose on the net. To talk about this issue, Peter Rukavina joins me now for another in our series, Consumed by Technology. Good morning, Peter. Good morning, What is it about the Internet that makes controlling access to certain types of information so darn difficult? Well, we've, we've talked a lot in this series about digital information, information that's not
1: really different in substance from any other sort of information, but for the fact that it's very easy to move from place to place using computers. It's very easy, very cheap to take any sort of information, pictures, maps, magazines, TV programs, what have you, convert it into digital information, and then use computers to make as many copies as you like, and to send these copies wherever in the world you like. Compared with the old ways of moving information around, using printing presses and trucks or radio studios and transmitters, spreading digital information from place to place is is almost effortless. Now, it's precisely because moving digital information is so easy and so cheap that we've seen the explosive growth of the Internet over the past several years. The Internet provides, quite literally, an information highway, which can provide people around the world with access to vast amounts of digital information. Now, one of the other interesting things about digital information is that it's invisible when it's moving around. In its most primitive state, digital information is just a bunch of ones and zeros, uh, electrical impulses, really, mm-hmm. uh, moving up and down wires at the speed of light. It
0: doesn't have to come in that plain brown paper wrapper, right? Yeah, eh? n- yeah.
1: Not at all. Now, if you were able to to somehow magically zoom in on a little piece of the Internet, what you would see would simply be a stream of digital information bits zipping along. These information bits, once assembled at the receiving end by a computer, could just as well be the complete works of William Shakespeare as they could be an episode of Compass or information about crop rotation. Uh, While they're out there on the Internet, though, they're just vast bits of, of a digital information soup. Now, when you hook up to the Internet, you immediately gain access to all of the public information that's available on Internet computers around the world. It's like you're connecting a big pipe to that vast information soup. And when you do this, you're not only gaining access to things like the complete uh, works of William Shakespeare and information about when to plant begonias, you're also gaining access to the latest issue of Playboy magazine. Uh, to discussion groups about bomb-making, uh, to a, a myriad of, of radical political views. Whatever information is out there on the Internet, and, and that probably uh, includes information that, that you would imagine that's there and, and a lot that you can imagine that's there, uh, whatever information is out there is accessible to anyone who's connected
0: to the Internet. Playboy magazine, text only, Peter? Text and pictures. And pictures. Okay, now And this is true, is it, by the way, whether it's my computer at home or whether it is uh... computers at my child's school
1: when you're plugged into the internet you're plugged into the internet it's the same information
0: soup no matter who you are no matter where
1: you are and that's precisely why we've seen some controversy lately uh, in the past year or the past couple of years as schools have become connected to the internet and students have started to be able to browse and, and see what's available as you might imagine they're not always browsing around the lofty
0: educational stuff yeah, that's true because here on the island and elsewhere i mean there's been talk recently about installing a uh, special computer programs, it's supposed to filter out all of this objectionable material. Do these types of programs, do they actually work? Well, they work, but
1: but only sort of. Uh, there are three problems that arise uh, when you you try and filter out digital information. First, the problem of deciding what exactly to filter out. Uh, secondly, the problem of how to filter it out. And, and finally, the problem of students simply finding ways to work around the filters. Now, on the surface, the problem of deciding what to filter out appears pretty simple. If you were to put five or ten average parents in a room and ask them to come up with a list of what they consider objectionable information, information that they don't want their kids coming across, you'd probably have an easy time of it, at least to begin with. I don't think there are many parents around who would want their kids having access to violent pictures or pornography, information about how to make bombs. You'd probably get a pretty quick agreement about that sort of thing. But but then what about pictures of the aftermath of Hiroshima? That's a pretty gruesome, a pretty violent sight. but it's also a very powerful tool in teaching about war and peace. So, so maybe no violent pictures except pictures of Hiroshima. Uh, and then there's information about sex. Uh, pornography is out, but what's pornography? Two people kissing, is that pornography? Uh, how-to information about sex, is that pornography? Uh, what about information about birth control? Some people think information about birth control is pornography. What about this bomb-making information? If you screen out everything with the word bomb in it, you're going to leave out most of the history of World Mm -hmm. War II uh, and a lot of items in the news recently. The issue of figuring out what's good information and what's bad information isn't cut and dry. Information isn't black and white, and while it might be possible to get people to agree in a very general way about what's good and what's bad, uh, doing anything more is like trying to get agreement on anything controversial. It's it's next to impossible. Now, this sort of problem is no different than the classic problem of trying to figure out whether Catcher in the Rye should be in school libraries or not, except that the challenge is not about one book which you can pick up and read and argue about. It's trying to sort through an entire world of information, sometimes before that information even exists and coming up with very specific rules for what's in and what's out, for what's good and what's bad information.
0: Right. Now, assuming, though, for a moment, uh, Peter, that we could all somehow come to an agreement over what information ought to be filtered out, assuming that, <laughs> it's a big assumption, how does the actual filtering process go into work here?
1: Well, remember that the digital information is essentially invisible. When it's moving around, it's just this generic soup of, of bits and bytes. The filtering programs schools are looking at work by intercepting information in this raw state as it enters your computer. A sort of information robot sits and watches for patterns in the incoming information. If it detects one of the patterns, it can take actions that range from just shutting the computer down right away to denying access to that particular page or Internet site. The patterns that this robot is looking for are a predefined set of keywords that are associated with the kind of information that students are denied access to. In most cases, this set of keywords is is something that can be added to and changed to suit the particular needs of the school or or the age group in question. Uh, So a student walks up to a computer, clicks on Open, types in an Internet address like uh, www.playboy.com, and because the word Playboy is one of the keywords in the watch list, a warning pops off on the screen telling them that they've tried to access a banned Internet site. So no go on that one. The problem here is that it's next to impossible to come up with a set of keywords that will both screen out anything objectionable and let good, useful information through. Uh, There's simply too many possible combinations of words and phrases and content to cover off everything. And inevitably, in the process of trying to screen out bad information, you end up throwing the baby out with the Mm -hmm. bathwater and, and screening out good information too. Now, perhaps the best example of this sort of thing happened last year when America Online, which is a large U.S. computer network, they added the word breast to a list of banned words for their electronic discussion groups. Uh, they viewed themselves as a sort of a family network, and in their well-intentioned way, they were just sort of trying to clean things up or make them, uh, make them in a family sort of uh, environment. Unfortunately, in the process, they ended up censoring an electronic discussion group for breast cancer survivors. Just like trying to define what information is good and what information is bad, trying to come up with a, a comprehensive set of watchwords which will cover off all situations without making the Internet all but useless just isn't possible. Now, another problem that crops up when you try and filter digital information is that it's next to impossible to filter out pictures based on their contents. You can filter out pictures based on what computer file name they've got to porn.gif or dirtypicture.bmp, but that's about it. It's it's almost impossible for a computer, at least with the technology we have today, to figure out what, what a picture is actually of. And, and so, again, even if you could figure out what sort of pictures you wanted to screen out, there's not really an effective way of actually mm-hmm. doing it.
0: You mentioned the problem of uh, students finding ways to work around the filters, to defeat them in some way. Is that a problem, to do that?
1: Well. The natural inclination of of any teenager when prevented from doing something, and and I speak from considerable personal experience here, (laughs) is, is to immediately find a way around whatever roadblocks have been placed in their way. I consider the fact that it's illegal for teens to go out and buy beer and cigarettes, and yet somehow many teens are able to get beer and cigarettes whenever they like. The situation with Internet filters is no different. There's always a way to work around the system. And the very fact that the system is there at all is an extra incentive to work harder at getting around it. Uh, to test this out, I downloaded a program from the Internet called Net Nanny. I installed it on my computer. It's a pretty standard Internet content filtering program. I set the program up on my computer. I gave it a list of watchwords, and then I took it out for a spin. Uh, sure enough, whenever I did something bad by trying to go to an Internet site that contained any of the words I'd set up as watchwords, I was prevented from doing so. So it worked. It worked. Now, when I set out to work around Net Nanny, it took me about 45 seconds to erase all traces of the program from my computer, and again, to get unlimited access to the Internet. 45 seconds. 45 you seconds. You
0: timed yourself.
1: I was, I was working pretty fast, but, uh, you know, a couple of minutes. If I wanted to cover my tracks, I could have just set aside the Net Nanny program for a while, and then when I was done browsing, I could have put it back, and no one would have been the wiser. It didn't take any great knowledge of computers for me to do this and it would be well within the capabilities of any high school student with a bit of computer savvy to do exactly the same thing. Now the reason that this is so easy isn't really because the filtering programs themselves aren't bulletproof enough, it's it's just that computers are by their very nature malleable, flexible things that are designed to be easily modified. These filter programs are like deadbolt locks installed on a door with a balsa wood frame. (laughs) They do what they're supposed to do until you decide to just bust through the door and, and ignore them. So again, to answer your original question, do these these filter programs actually work, my answer is that even if we can somehow agree on what we're going to censor out and figure out a list of words that will do the task, and and both of those tasks are next to impossible, we're still left with an imperfect solution that can be easily worked
0: around. Yes, uh, where does that leave us indeed? I mean, if we can't use the computers, uh, Peter, to filter out the information, what other options are there? Uh, What do we have to give students access to the Internet, but only to certain parts of it?
1: Well, to be honest, there really aren't any technology solutions to this problem, and I doubt that there ever will be. The problem we're really facing here is that we've relied for generations on our ability to simply physically prevent our children from coming across information that we don't want them seeing. Uh, Dirty magazines are on the top shelf of the local cigar store. Public libraries simply don't buy really controversial books. We don't let our kids watch TV programs we don't like, and, and so on and so forth. It's been relatively easy to hold back the tide of bad information by placing that information simply out of reach and now we can't do that anymore Uh, short of unplugging the internet and calling it a day there isn't going to be a technology solution that's going to keep our kids from coming across all sorts of information we probably don't want them seeing Uh, kids are going to see violence they are going to see graphic sex they are going to see things that probably you and i have never seen Uh, the solution to this problem isn't going to be a technical one it's going to be an educational one And it's not going to be a universal, complete, blanket solution. It's going to be a fuzzy, inexact, incomplete, evolving solution. Because we've dealt with objectionable material for so long, simply by physically preventing access to it, we've gotten lazy. We've not had to think that hard about why some material is objectionable and why other material isn't. And we haven't, by and large, had to talk to our kids about this, at least not in in a pressing, practical way. We're going to have to start. If we admit to ourselves that our kids are inevitably going to come across materials which will shock them, make them afraid, turn them on, confuse them, confound them, then rather than trying to pretend that some technological magic bullet is going to come along and and screen out the bad bits for us, we can get on with the job of giving our kids the skills they need to deal with all this information. Now, I don't even think we know what those skills are, but we're going to have to figure that out. There are, unfortunately, no easy answers to this problem, and I imagine we've only begun to see the beginning of the controversy. We're facing yet another one of those situations where technology, in solving problems for us, is giving us in giving us more access to, to more information. It, it's also introducing a, a host of new challenges we never even imagined
0: and we never really prepared for. This is a big challenge for, for parents and, and, and students and teachers, all of us together. Peter, thanks very much for outlining uh, the situation to us this morning. We appreciate it. Peter Rukovina operates Digital Island in Kingston, PEI.